0: What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome coming up on today's show. Guys, I'm going to jump around a little bit. I want to tell you about Amanda Nunes sticking it to Juliana Pena Plus. I'm going to tell you about Mark Zuckerberg's new training partner, and I'm also going to talk about Michael Chandler's next move in the Conor McGregor situation. But before we get to that stuff, guys, I want to spend the first part of the show talking about some recently booked fights that have me excited for the UFC summer. Max and the zombie. Are you guys ready for this? I feel like this one, I feel like you're missing it. And I really do feel, for the most part, I don't mean to condescend to you guys. I really like you guys. We come here, right? We try to smarten each other up. I learned plenty of you in the comment sections. Please don't get me wrong. But I do feel, condescending or not, that you don't understand Max Holloway. That's how I feel. I feel that very few people understand Max Holloway. That's how I feel. I've known Max since he was 20 years old. If I have that wrong, he was 21. I met him the day before, so at the weigh-ins. I met him the day before he fought Conor McGregor, and he had a record at that time for being the youngest guy in the UFC. I just can't remember if he was 20 or 21. I'll bet he was 20, but I'm making my point. Then Max goes, and he, he starts this family, and it's, this, it's a small town, Right? Very proud of where he's from. I understand that. I can relate to that. I'm very proud of Westland. I'm very proud of where I'm from. He's like that, not to mention he's a celebrity, not to mention he's a badass. And he got his heart broken. It's a very terrible story, but it's a very big part of Max and understanding him. Because most of you didn't know that, did you? Before you think, well, I didn't know that I don't care about his personal life. Eh, Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And you saw Max nonstop for a guy who went through what Max went through and you didn't know it, you didn't know it because he never showed you. You didn't know it because you never saw him hanging his head. You didn't know it because he never had a bad competition and he blamed it on that. He blamed his training. He blamed his nutritionist. He brought his old lady. He brought the guy up the road. He's never done any of those things ever. And that includes putting on the best performances that we saw during COVID. The best MMA that you saw in your life took place in COVID and the star of all of them, and they all get a lot of credit, but the star of all of them is Max. Max outperformed everybody. And he did it by himself in his garage. And he worked on techniques and he envisioned and he believed, and he was at that right age with that right usefulness, with that right playfulness. And no matter what was pulling him down outside of this, he kept his focus. And I feel that a lot of people don't understand that. I feel a lot of people don't understand what was on the line the night that Max moved up to 155 pounds and stood across from Dustin Poirier. And I I feel like they don't get that. Conor McGregor has beaten the best fighters in the world fast. He's won world championships in 13 seconds. He's won world championships inside of two rounds. He fought Max Holloway for fifteen minutes, and Max would have fought him for fifteen more. And that's back when he was twenty-year-old boy. Just sharing that with you, the huge part of the story. The only thing that ever comes out of that story is that uh, we're, we're told that Connor's knee hurt. I don't even I don't even know what to do with that. I I, I honestly don't know. I, ACLs and MCLs and meniscus and both knees and at the same time. I, I I possibly couldn't care less. It has never stopped me from my ability to and fill in the blank never. I would prefer when they felt good because not having pain is better than having pain, but I'm just sharing for you. Everybody seems to have these kinds of excuses instead of just saying, hey, that 20-year-old Max, he sure showed something special that night, didn't he? And he found a way to pick himself up and get all the way to a world championship. He found a way to pick himself up and get to a world championship fight at even a different weight class before he settled back home. And I just feel that the Max story is missed. And you've really got to understand what's going on here. Max fought Volkanovski twice, and Max beat him both times, in my opinion. Now, I wasn't bullish on the very first one. It was hard to tell. On the second one in Fight Island, it was three rounds to two for Max. They rematched a third time. Volkanovski never should have even given him that opportunity, but he did. And that one, you started to see the distance and you started to see the greatness of Volkanovsky. And the ways that I have to bring that in is because Volkanovsky cannot be your denominator here. He can be the divisible, he cannot be the denominator because if you look at what Volk did to the Korean zombie, you're gonna decide that Korean zombie's time is done. If you look at what Volk did to Max, you're going to decide that Max' time is done. You're wrong. Not only is it not fair for you to do that, Max can't do it to himself and, and the zombie can't do it to himself. This is the right fight. This is an excellent contest. But what these guys are out there to show. See, this is a mental battle. You're going to see it from a physical standpoint. This is a mental battle. Fighting Volkanovski, you'll think that you are done. One of the best fighters that the world's ever seen. You ready for this? Chad Mendez. Chad Mendes is one of the true greats, from strength to speed to understanding to versatility to grappling to wrestling accolades. He's one of the best. Chad fought Volkanovski and said, I'm not going to fight anymore. That's how Volk made him feel. Volk made one of the greats ever, a three-time, three-time, three-time title challenger, feel as though I don't belong. Now, Chad ended up doing other things, such as grappling, of which he never lost, such as professional boxing, of which I want to say he never lost. I don't want you guys correcting me, but boy, did he represent himself really well? Yeah, it turned out that you're not done just because Volkanovski comes across you. In fact, if you look at Chad Mendez, he got better having dealt with Volkanovski. So but before you want to count out the zombie, because you saw that performance right Volk turns out to be a lot better than we knew he was I mean do you think that Islam would have any trouble with anybody who I've just mentioned okay because some people including a judge that night think that Volk beat Islam so so I'm just sharing for you if you could give everybody a pass from getting beat up by Islam this is a guy that many think beat up Islam right it's one of those they gotta throw Balkanovsky out People were talking about zombie retiring. Zombie was thinking about retiring, but that was in the ring with Alex. Alex is a different deal. And you can use it to get frustrated, and many have. Or you can swallow real deep, grab your bootstraps like Max Holloway personally has done so many times, including on very sensitive personal issues that he's never made public. And you can use those experiences to get better. This is not a physical battle between the zombie and Max. This fight is mental. Henry Cejudo versus Marlon Vera guys, this popped off the page. am I right? I mean when I saw this, I'm sitting back and going, okay, You've given me what I wanted. See the number one rule. The number one rule when possible. Very hard to do. Give the audience what they want, not what the audience is expecting. How do you make both of those things happen? It's really tough. It's why this doesn't happen every single day. And it's why Vera versus Cejudo is a treat. I can't remember last time I saw Cheeto Vera's name opposite an opponent where I threw my hands up and said, yes, I just can't remember that. And I could really say the same thing about Henry. I can't remember a specific opponent or match where I was like, yeah, boom, we got him. This is it. This is the one. Why is it here? I guess I just didn't see it coming. Henry's got his business with Morab. If you wanted to put Henry into an immediate title shot, back in there with Aljo, you could. Here, you want to hear one that's pretty off the wall? I'm just saying, but you could have done it. and Nobody would have. What if Henry gets named as the backup fighter for the 45-pound interim championship, Rodriguez versus Volkanovski, which, by the way, will be an undisputed. you get my point? He could have gone to that spot. And I get where that would be weird. I'm just sharing with you. There was a lot of things that could be done. There was things that Henry asked for. He asked for Murab. Henry and Sugar Sean, they're not going to get it right. Like, there's not a day where they're going to come in and shake hands and and be bro-hugging and it's going to slip out on Instagram. The tie-in, the egos, the success, the rankings, and the demographics of their both in Arizona, it doesn't work that way. So I'm just sharing for you when all of a sudden Cheeto Vera comes in, swooping on a six. I didn't see it coming. And cheeto has been such fire, man. Cheeto Vera has been so awesome lately. Everybody has to work on something, right? And you'll hear a lot of great sports guys tell you, and they'll tell you to the point that most of us brush it off because we don't accept it as true, or we don't think that it's hardcore and driven enough. But the greats will tell you the only one you're competing with is yourself. Well, that's a really cool thing to say if I'm looking for some sunshine blown up my ass but that isn't the reality. Matter of fact, I'm competing with that guy right there. He's already in the ring. I'm second. I'm getting Vaseline put on I'm, him right there is who I'm competing with. So, right. And people dismiss it. And I will just tell you, I really liked sports and I had a life that was somehow involved with sports. But one of the great days I ever had in sports was my freshman year at Westland High School when the weightlifting coach, Tom Ogan, explained to the room, The only thing you're going to compete with is you. Now, Coach Ogan did not tell us this until after he had us go and check our three core lifts, which was known as a squat, was known as a power cling, it was known as a bench press. And we had to write down what we could do. Right? There we are on the very first day. Here's our number. One rep. Here's our max. That is when the coach explained to us, you will be graded based on what you do. Meaning, if I can lift 190 pounds right now. And at the end of the year, I'm lifting 190, and it's the strongest of the whole room. The closest to me is 130. I am easily the strongest guy in class. I will not get a passing grade. If I started at 190 and I end at 190, I'm competing against myself, and I've done nothing. That's how this will be looked at. But if I started at 130 and I got up to 155... Even if there is guys in the class doing 190, it's got nothing to do with me. I started at 30. I finished at 55. It's important that you understand these things, that you really are just competing against yourself. And if you start thinking about outcomes over performance, it goes the wrong way. If you're Cheeto and you start thinking about, I love wrestling, I respect wrestling. When I got in this sport, the toughest guys and the most successful guys were the guys that were better at wrestling. Oh crap, I'm taking on the champ, the Olympic champ, right? That's a thing. And I would love if Sterling would come and speak about how he got around that. Because many guys have said, all the Olympics is over here and that's wrestling and this is sport fighting. Many guys have said the right words, but they feel it and they think it. And as soon as they grab a hold of each other, as soon as they get clinched, when they get to an over under, They start thinking about danger zone. They start feeling hips. They start trying to break and pull on his back, see where his strengths are, and they start to get really intimidated. That is perfectly common. But Sterling found a way. I mean, Sterling, the day before the match got caught, he was so mad and he was was just ran to himself as he's walking by and somebody had a camera on him. And Aljo, talking about Henry, Aljo says, This isn't wrestling. This is fighting. I will shove that gold medal from the Olympics right up his ass. He says this like to himself. He's just storming, and somebody had it on camera. But it was this attitude that he really was able to carry with him into the fight itself. And I just bring that because Cheeto is going to have to do that same thing. Everybody that deals with Henry is going to have to do that same thing, which is to get over the fact that of the important elements that go into mma he was king but it's not the only element in mma right in 1997 it was by the turn of the century it was not by 2003 the greatest wrestler in the sport was a guy that never even had a wrestling match named george st pierre right like things changed and Cheeto Vera's got everything that it takes, and he has found a way to overcome. Talk about a guy who competes against himself. You're talking about Cheeto Vera. Cheeto Vera got into the sport. He was going like two and two. I think at one point he even had a, a, a losing record. And those two guys that beat him aren't even with the company anymore. I mean, that, that's a big deal, though. It wasn't as though he was losing to top guy. He's just losing to regular guys that are trying to get their footing the same as he is. Oh, by the way, they lost so many, they're out. And then he figured it out and turned the corner. Cheeto Vera's greatest weapon is his mind, for sure. But I guarantee if he started to break down what the changes in his career was, he would be saying something very similar to what I'm saying, which is that he would not think I have to go beat an opponent. He wouldn't be thinking about the outcome. He'd be thinking about the process. What little things am I going to do? When 30 seconds is left in the round, what am I going to do to steal that round in the eyes of the judges? Little things, one round at a time, bit by bit. When you total it all up, it equals a fight. It's a meaningful match, man. I really thought Mirab was going to have his nose stuck in this somewhere. I really thought we might have to wait. Because that division's the, yeah, real interesting. Sandhagen total stud. Sandhagen will take fights, man. Sandhagen is tough as hell. But Sandhagen's going to go off and he's going to fight Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov's never lost. He's never lost a round. So Nurmagomedov has to be one of the guys that's being looked at. So now that he, and I'm talking about Nurmagomedov, is in a feature bout in a main event opposite Sandhagen, they haven't called a number one contenders match, but they're forced. They have to at least look in that direction. Meanwhile, we find out that it's Henry versus Cheeto. Now, you know what I love? I never get my way, but you want to know what I would love? I would love, instead of these two matches, arguing about who the number one contender is, I would love ahead of time, we just say, whoever wins these two matches fights each other. Winner, winner takes on the champ. Whether that's going to be Alja or Sean at the time. That's what I would like to see. I have a feeling that Nurmagomedov, who isn't great about arguing things in public, but I have a feeling he's going to have his team, Ali's going to have a say, Ali's going to shine this up when he goes in there with Sandhagen to try to make that eligible to be looked at for the number one contenders match. I just hope that we take that match and we take this new Henry Cheeto match. And the winners of that go in a number one contenders match and the champ. Is waiting for whoever's left. I was in my doctor's office yesterday. And his secretary comes in and she wants to thank me. She wants to thank me for the Ridge wallet. She got a, a promo code, she saves 15%. She pokes her head in, right? It's one of these situations, knock, knock, pokes her head in. You know what she said though? She said, Chael, ever since I saw that you were coming today, she said, I got to talk to you about Amanda. Is she really done? And I I have to process what she's talking about. Okay, we're talking about Amanda. Yes, we're talking about UFC, the retirement, the queen walking away. And I said, yeah, I think so. And she goes, do you believe it though? And and it, it forced me to think about it for the first time because... What are you betting there? If you bet that Amanda's gone, what are you betting? You're trying to weigh does retirement, does legacy, these things that matter, does from a financial standpoint, do I have enough? If you're in Amanda spot, I have a wife, I have a child. From what Amanda tells us she would like more children. Does she have enough. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know that part of her. But I do know most retirements are really hard, and most people that go out don't do it on top, and the ones that do go out and they do it on top, Lennox Lewis, Foy Mayweather, Khabib Nurmagomedov, George St. Pierre, it's really, really rare. And as rare as that is, when trying to factor in some of those to the equation for Amanda, you have to times it by two. And I feel that a lot of people forget that. Amanda walked away after defending her 135-pound championship, and her number one contender, her next opponent, the Vixen, right there in the audience, ready to greet her. But what many do forget, even you loyal fans, you just forgot. She was the 45-pound champion, too. She let that one go. And see, I wanted this to be the swerve, right? I have my own evil desires as a fan. I love to, I do the cheer. Sure, I do. I want to see somebody succeed. But then I have an evil side where there's also a part of me that wants to see somebody fail. If I don't have a guy that I really am cheering for in a fight, I'll just look at it from the other perspective. Who do I want to see lose? And I can go match after match after match, week after week, channel to channel. Seems to always work out for me. I was hoping... And it was hope against hope. But I was hoping that Amanda was going to retire from 135. She's got the vixen right there. And she knows this is what Juliana wants. You are my enemy. Generally, I would have to defeat you in the unified rules in this sport. But I... I'm in one opportunity, one time. I got one shot. Should I choose to take it? I can hurt you, Juliana, by just telling you no. And I was thinking how wonderful this would be after that set in. If Amanda then came out and clarified to the world, I didn't mean both belts. I meant 135. Of course I'm planning to defend at 145, where the top contender is fill-in-the-blank, with pay-per-view points attached and millions coming my way. I was hoping for that, and I knew that was unlikely, guys. I, I knew that really wasn't it, but we have seen crazy things within the sport. I mean, look, Henry Cejudo took his gloves off to retire. They took too long to get him the microphone. Joe Rogan spent too much time over here, and if he could have gotten here 10 seconds earlier, Henry would have retired. Instead, he calls out Mirab the next day on social media, and last night we find out that he's booked against Cheeto Vera. I'm just saying these things can change really fast, and wouldn't have that been a great story? Wouldn't have that been great if Amanda came out and said, well, Wait, wait a minute, you took my 45 pound belt away? What are you talking about? And what would happen if they did? What would happen if they operated? At lightning fast speed and they announced who will be fighting for the vacant 145 pound title. And at that point, Amanda steps forward and goes, vacant title? What? What are you talking about? Then you would have had two people who their dreams were going to come true. They're excited. They're a main event. They're going to get on a poster. They're one win away from a championship and they don't have to take on the most dangerous girl. They're going to take on somebody else. And then she comes in and takes the opportunity from, do you know how evil that would have been? Do you know how cruel that would have been? And this is what I was hoping for, right? Like this is what I want to see. That's, that's entertainment for me. And I thought there was a small chance. She laid down two belts when she retired which to the smart mark would signify 35 and 45, but you could also look at it different and go, well, this is the belt that my team, and this is the one that they just handed me for tonight. There's one, there's two, 45, still mine. And so when the gal popped her head into the office and she asked me, do you think it's true? Do you think Amanda's done? Yes, I do. I do think she's done. I do think it was very well thought out. I think that she is one of the few champions who understands the participation clause. I think that she's one of the few people that's fully aware of what she's walking away from, right? If she was to come back, but no longer champion, she could go do the same thing in the same placement with the same attention in the same media, nowhere near the same prize. And many don't understand that. They have contracts, some of them don't even sign them. Most of them don't even read them. I don't think that she goes into that category. I think that when Amanda said she was done, I think that she means it. And it was set up, right? If this was a movie, boy, it was set up for the perfect turn, the perfect spin. But I don't think we're going to get it. I think the queen is done. <laughs> Mussolini. Am I saying that right? Musu. Muchicelli. You guys know who I'm talking about. Mikey is awesome. And Mikey, who's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, he's the one championship grappling champion. Mikey may, made most of his headlines due to his diet that he only eats Pasta and pizza, nothing else goes in his body. Doesn't matter if it's for breakfast, he eats pasta or he eats pizza. This is what he claims. Now, he's a skinny fella. He's not covering muscles, but that was just interesting. Generally, you're top athletes and you got to hear about some uh, keto or some uh, greens with spinach. Or It's just like kind of the way it goes. So when you have a guy that reaches the highest of levels, oh, and by the way, just tells the truth, because those athletes that you think are doing paleo and keto and whatever else, whoever paid them to st- drop their name, they're not. They're not doing any of that stuff. They're doing the dollar menu just like every other ordinary person. They then remanufacture it, and they come and they lie to you, and somebody lines their pockets. I'm mean, just sharing with you that that's how it works. Eventually, somebody will get a hold of Mikey and have enough money, and Mikey will say he doesn't need pizza anymore, and it will be a lie. But I'm sharing, like, this is just an interesting thing, right? That, reminding you guys, if you know who Mikey is, Mikey would go out, he'd have to take his glasses off, then he'd go tie somebody up into a bow in one championship, chautry would give him a 50 grand bonus, and he'd have to put his glasses on so he could find chautry in the ring to thank him. He's great. Mikey's just great. That's my point. Mikey's awesome. Mikey is now the head grappling coach hired by Mark Zuckerberg. And I think that's really interesting, and I want to know your take. Look, I've been behind this Zuckerberg thing from the beginning. I mean, I must tell you. And we never really knew the extent that Mark was a fan. And all of a sudden, he shows up at a UFC. It's just him and Dana. And all of a sudden, these rumors start up about the UFC and Facebook from a programming standpoint. But Dana confirms they're going to do something with Facebook in the metasphere, which if you were alive 18 months ago, it was the only word you could hear. And if you haven't heard it in 18 months, you probably haven't heard it until I just said it right now. Like, like, there's this great big thing that's going to go on with the metasphere. I, I don't know. It's apparently not. But then you get Zuckerberg going out, and he enters a grappling competition. And that was awesome because this was a regular competition. Abu Dhabi itself guys, this big, beautiful thing that our sport respects more than any other sport, was done in a closed room for the entertainment of a very wealthy man. And that man couldn't just pop into any event. It was security and it was a risk and it was it was a lot of things where they had to come to him, provided for an amazing opportunity. For our industry, I would just share for you that all of those same factors were still at play for Zuckerford and he went to the tournament. He didn't buy the tournament, he didn't host the tournament, he didn't put it on, he didn't write a check, he didn't line the brackets up, he didn't pick the officials. He put down an entry fee and he entered the tournament. That was incredible and he didn't get any credit for it. Then when the match wins and he doesn't win, he's not supposed to win. How would a guy that's never done it before? Were other guys like him that couldn't do it, so they spent crazy amounts of money to bring it in just so they could show their support as a fan. How's he supposed to win with no experience? Would you want to be held to that standard? Would you want to be the main event, the main attraction? Everybody stops, everybody watching you. Oh, and by the way, you, you know one secret, which is I've never done this before. I'm really nervous to be here. This is a bucket list. This is a lifelong goal. I have mustered up the courage, and here I am. Because this is what ends up happening, and it didn't go his way. So what's he going to do now? Quit, right? He's done. Yeah, that's what I would have guessed, too. I would have guessed that, too, and I still would have patted him on the back and said, good job. Welcome to the community. It's for life. For life. You now belong to this community. Good job. Here's your hat. There's the door. I would have thought that's what's going to happen. What's wrong with that for a guest? That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Well, apparently we don't know this guy very well. Apparently, when 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 you go and build a billion dollar company in your dorm room, apparently it takes a little bit of grit, takes a little bit of drive. Apparently, having doors shut in your face and losing, or having people snicker at you, isn't new to the territory because Zuckerberg is now and he's gone out and he's employed the best grappler in the world. What else would you what would you like to call Mikey, who's ranked number one? who, by the way, is the one championship belt holder. He's got so many other accomplishments. I just don't don't want to state him just in case I get one wrong. Now let's take a little bit closer. So now we just learned who Mark Zuckerford is. That's that's what we just learned. We learned that we now have a competitor who when things didn't go his way, they want it to go that way, right? I mean, but, but not for nothing. If you're getting behind a Fortune 500 company and you're getting behind a founder and or a CEO and you find out that he's not a quitter, it's going to mean something. You find out he doesn't get the result that he wanted, then instead of letting it go and saying, uh, what, what, what great memories, glad I tried. He buckles down and is going to try again. I'm just sharing for you. That's the kind of person you can really get behind now. Is it the right hire? Hard question. If You could hire anybody and you wanted to go into grappling. You would probably come to the determination right up there with Gordon Ryan and Craig Jones that Mikey Mucimini is the best. You'd come to that conclusion, are you best to hire the best? Now, that's always a philosophical question that's really hard. Many will tell you that Michael Jordan was the greatest player of all time. Many will tell you that. And many will argue for you that LeBron James is now the greatest player of all time. But nobody would stake a hedge on a bet that Jordan is going to become a coach of a team or that LeBron will go be the coach of a team. As a matter of fact, the rich guys that play for team right, those basketball players are rich. Whoever signs their check is wealthy. The wealthy guys don't want, they don't court, they don't ask, they are not interested in having Michael Jordan come coach a team. And same thing goes for LeBron James. Nobody's even interested. It's not a matter of getting a no. Nobody is asking or even wants them to do it. Why? And so many times in life we see this, right? If you can't do something, teach it. If you're not good in business, go and be a professor. Teach other people business. We see this all the time, but we see it in sport as well. The best coaches, Phil Jackson, oh, decorated in success. And so many people try to take it from Phil and say, well, he had these great teams. Maybe but they were his teams though. But they don't have all those rings. They don't have all those resumes and they weren't chosen to be on the all-star team or slam dunk contest or the Olympic team or chosen for a Big Mac commercial. And so it's a, it's a really interesting concept. If Zuckerberg is looking for roles, because we don't know what his deal is, Right. We don't know if his deal is technique. We don't know if his deal is strategy. The part that he feels, hey, this is what I need. He feels, I don't have the biggest muscles in the world, but I'm pretty good at flexibility. This is a guy who doesn't use power. He uses flexibility. I'm going to grab him and I'm going to learn the techniques. If that's the thing, we're in a good spot. What if it's fear? What if it's a matter of I don't know how good my opponent is? This is a really common one, guys. It's a real common one that athletes often have a hard time articulating. My deal, my setback is whatever you think it is, that is it, is I don't know how good these guys are. I don't know what he's gonna do to me. I don't know how bad this is gonna hurt. I don't know how fast he can put me to sleep. If that's your deal, then you get Mikey, you hire him, you set times and you go live. You do live goes being a rational thinking person If I can deal with this and get to the point that this does not petrify me, then there's nothing that I'm going to come across in a Saturday tournament. And I would just be curious. What are those things? What are those things you look for? I think Sugar Ray Leonard was the greatest boxer ever, but he didn't train anybody. I think Mike Tyson was the best boxer of my lifetime. Of my lifetime, then maybe that gets passed over to Klitschkos, who, by the way, don't train anybody, or Lennox Lewis, who, by the way, hadn't even considered training anybody because he's high all the time, or that gets passed over to Tyson Fury. None of them are trainers. None of them are coaches. So would you rather have those kinds of guys, or would you give some real consideration to somebody that took a guy who had nothing? He wasn't a white belt. He didn't even own a belt, but he took him all the way to the world championship. And then wonder, could he do that with me too? It's philosophical. It's a tough question. I'm not second guessing it. I'm observing it. I'm impressed with Zuckerford. I'll tell you that much. I don't think there's a lot of CEOs that could fall on their face and get right back up. I think it's impressive. I think Mikey's a good hire. I do wonder though, if this is going to be a competitor in our sport and I'm going to have to cover him. I would like to know his thing, the thing, the thing, the piece that he feels is missing. What is it? The art of war. The best general never fires a shot. Right? Good job. Good job if you go around and you start saying that you'll make people think that you read a book now if they question you a little bit further you'll prove that you haven't read it unless you know the follow-up which is you must make your enemy believe that you possess a weapon that they can't deal with and you must make your enemy believe that you're going to use it that is the art of war and that's the part that so seldomly happens you'll have propaganda machines you'll see entire regimes that don't have to fight anybody because they can put out the right image that they'd be really good if you had. You then will have some countries that will pretend that they have a weapon. They've got a satellite up in the sky and they can zoom in and they can look right through your window and they can tell you what you're having for breakfast, right? You hear these kinds of stories. That's really effective. That's really intimidating if I actually thought that you had it. So, Mr. Tough Guy, I had eggs and toast for breakfast today. Why don't you tell me, did I have them scrambled or sunny side up? And do you see where the problem starts to come in? Now, let's say I had three and I had them poached and you told me that. Whoa, I got a big problem, don't I? But if you did get the satellite up there and you've got that type of ability, are you really cold-blooded enough to use it? Are you really willing to let innocent people die? for what's gonna come down to nothing more than money. It's a very fascinating concept, but somebody only has power if they're willing to use it. And I'm looking at Michael Chandler's situation and it is an incredible one. Michael Chandler, let me just uh, uh, allow a scenario for you. Okay, the one thing that Michael Chandler has is he's got a spot on ESPN every single week and he's got the ear of everybody within this space. Now he's been consistent. He's been very straightforward. Ultimate fighter, my team versus McGregor's. Here's what the rules are. Oh, by the way, at the end, we are going to commence this with a fight ourselves. Stand by. There'll be tickets. There'll be a channel. There'll be a network. There'll be bars and movie theaters in certain jurisdictions. You can get together with friends and you can watch me versus Conor. Now, it's starting to look as though that's not going to happen. It started to look as though that's not going to happen because there's nothing pushing Connor in that direction. And it's very tough to explain motives of a rich man. It's a very very hard thing to do. But if Connor's going to fight Chandler. Right? Cuz don't forget the art of war. We just discussed it. You've not only got to have a weapon that your opponent can't deal with, you have to make your opponent believe you're willing to use it. Why would Conor fight Chandler? Why? Why would he fight him? Is it for the money? I don't think any of us believe that. Is it for the title? Well, it's not a title fight. It's also been made very clear to us that Conor between 155 and 170 pounds could have a title fight today if that's what he chose to do. We've been told that. There was no reason to reveal the favoritism. There was no reason to reveal that this young man's draw and capacity to gain interest will push everybody back one step at two different weight classes if he does nothing more than ask for it over the phone. There's no reason to reveal it and it was still revealed because it was the truth. And we know it, don't we guys? And we understand it, don't we guys? We don't have a big problem with it. But, but once we know and understand it and have a problem with it, then we also must concede right back to ourselves, right, within this fictitious debate that Connor is not doing this from a competitive standpoint. It is not about getting to a main event. He's already there. It's not about getting a title fight. He has an option of two. He didn't want it. It's not about going and getting something new. That could be known as the BMF, but that spot is taken. So why is he going to do it? And ultimately, when you start to work yourself back, you'll do it because of ego. You'll do it because of identity. You would be stunned, even within yourself, you would be stunned what you are willing to do To preserve your identity. The way your friends look at you. The class clown will never stop. No matter how many times you stick him in the hall or you give him a detention or you threaten him with suspension or you call his mom and dad he doesn't want to do it he doesn't want to be in trouble he doesn't want to go to the detention but his peers and classmates have said that he's the guy that's going to do the goofy things when the teacher turns around he's the guy that's going to throw the paper airplane when they turn it right on the chalkboard he can't get away from it it's his identity but nobody's putting Connor in that spot nobody is making Connor fighting Chandler about his courage or his drive, or his skill set, or his pursuit of nobody's done that. They have just made it about Connor, paperwork, and the United States Anti Doping Agency. It's a very fascinating thing. But Connor's not the only one on ESPN once a week. So now all of a sudden, Michael Chandler's in a very interesting spot. Everybody that believes Chandler's gonna sit here with his mouth shut because red pay tonight is real and he doesn't want to botch an opportunity. That's all true. That's all really true. But what if he wanted to quit playing so nice? There was Connor and TMZ in a bathroom and a great big, but their Chandler's name wasn't in there. Connor was getting headlines all over, whether you're famous or you're notorious. He was getting headlines all over the place. What would happen if Michael Chandler revealed to the world that he's about to go to the world and he's about to accept the challenge of Eddie Alvarez? What would happen then? What would happen then? He's waiting for a bout agreement. He's told them, I've done this and I've done this and I've waived everything and I've waited. I'm a prize fighter, I've got no fights, I've got no prize. I got wife, I got kids, I got things to do, I'm I'm in my prime. Look at me, look at what, what great shape I'm in. All of those things will be true, but he's never made the threat. He's never made a threat that, first off, he's never made it. But he's also, if he did make it, people may not take him serious. So how does Michael Chandler get people to understand that not only does he have a weapon, he's willing to use it, and what would happen then? I'm just asking the question, what would happen? Eddie Alvarez... One of the most sought-over free agents in our entire sport, Eddie Alvarez, has now called out Michael Chandler to part three. They've split the first two. That is the weirdest matchmaker that I've ever seen in this sport. The fact that they haven't done a third fight is one of the most bizarre things that I've ever seen. I really do mean that. Of course, you go to that trilogy. You got to get it done. You got to get paperwork. You got to get a weight class. You got to get them in the same organization. I understand those things. But what would happen if Chandler came out of nowhere and accepted what is Connor gonna say? Okay, great, I'm gonna move on, I'm gonna fight somebody else. Well, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. You still gotta do your paperwork. And then what about this thing on TV? that I mean, you know, as far as the fisherman goes, whoo, he got a big one, right? So what do you do in that perspective? What would happen if Michael Chandler came out with the position that he's got and he called for another opponent? What's gonna happen? I'm asking you, what's gonna happen? You're first going to have to go to the producers right away that one of your principals says he's not going to do this at the end of it. And then you're going to have a back and forth and then you're going to muddy the waters. But it's going to be headline followed by headline and it would be a very big deal. What would happen? Play it through. Do it quietly. Do it with yourself. What would happen? It made headlines that Chandler was challenged. Eddie Alvarez made headlines by challenging the guy who's on ESPN every single week. What would happen if that guy himself accepted or made a challenge of his own? Do you think that's going to go quiet? Do you think that's going to go unanswered? Do you think the, the Stephen Morocco's of the world? You think that Josh Grosses of the world, that Ariel Hawanis, if you will, are just going to move on or are they going to have to go and they're going to get some clarity and they're they're going to answer for it, whether you like it or not, but they're going to give some kind of response and you're going to go back to Chandler and he's going to come in whether he likes it or not and he's going to have a response. You're going to get a field day and you're gonna be going to go back and forth or you're going to do nothing. Be a good little soldier, you're going to do as you're told. That could be true. But it's very seldom that you have a weapon that you can use. Very seldom. And when you do have that weapon, there's an honor in the integrity involved in not using it. But the art of war says you convince your opponent that you will. Michael Bisping was talking about the possibility of John Jones and Tyson Fury. And that puts Michael Bisping in a kind of a hard position because of the British tie in, because of the connection. Fury most definitely knows who Bisping is and what he's accomplished and has supported him. And the same goes for Bisping, who is cheered for and been behind and knows the body of work that is Fury. It puts Bisping in a tough spot one of the reasons that I I turn to Bisping so much for MMA content and news is because he's straight it's not he doesn't lean towards I like this guy more and it's a very common thing but Bisping spoke about this and he speculated that Jones versus Fury would do as big if not bigger numbers than Floyd versus Connor so for fun let's say we're there Let's say the fight gets signed, Jones versus Fury. How big do you think that would be? How big do you think that would be and why? And there's always a problem with a fight. There's always when you get the heads in the room, the smart guys, known as the promoters that are going to bring this to you, they they identify what those conflicts are going to be and they lay out a plan and a path within that room for how they're going to deal with it. And the problem would be that there is nothing from a competitive standpoint that would make any kind of sense or lead you to believe that John Jones could go with Fury. I don't know if I see it that way. You know the dumb dumb that comes into these conversations all the time. And we've got memes for them, whether it's just bleed or I do uh, I do UFC I train UFC, we got these memes that go around, right? And you always have some jerk, no matter how many times you prove it to them, all the way back to the inception in 1993 in Mobile, Alabama. You always get somebody that denies reality. I'm never that guy. That guy has never been me. I'm on the other side that's yelling, that's trying to convince, that, that's willing to prove it, that wants to bet money. That wants to show the other side that's where I am. I think John Jones would beat him. I think John Jones would beat him. That's crazy. I do not think that John Jones should be on the Olympic team for boxing. I'm going down to amateurs, right? I'm not talking about world class, I'm not talking about pay per view fighters. I'm talking about amateur status done in a back room in a YMCA. I don't think that John Jones should be the one that represents his country at the Olympic Games on that level. And I think he could beat Tyson Fury. Why would I say something so stupid? Why would I possibly do that? Well, let's back up to the Conor fight. I mean, if we're using Connor and Floyd as the great example of how we do business and how, we're, how, how we, we cross-pollinate between boxing and MMA, if we're going to do that, then let's at least try to remember the timeline because the very first thing that Dana White put out, and I do mean the first thing, he knew there was a problem. A having a guy who's never done it go against a guy who's done it 50 times and never been beaten, he knew there was a problem. But he also recognized that Conor McGregor would fight Southpaw and Floyd made their way there, historically had had problems with Southpaws. So Dana gets his video team together And nobody gets to get up and go home for the day until they have made a compilation of Floyd Mayweather getting stung with left hands, exactly what Conor McGregor did to him, exactly what Zab Judah did to him, just by example. And Dana changed the narrative to Conor has to beat Floyd. The guy that's never done it is going to get the jump on a guy who's never lost at it. He changed the narrative. And he made it about one position. This guy has a problem With a straight left. This guy is good at hitting people with a straight left. Dana changed it. All of a sudden, that is interesting. All of a sudden, that is fascinating. All of a sudden, you can buy that. Now, why would I come out and tell you something as stupid as I think John Jones could beat Tyson Fury? Would I just want my name ran in the mud for being a dum-dum? Well, if we went into that same editing room and we broke down those same features, I could show you close to 25 fights from John Jones. I don't think he said quite that many. You, you understand my point. I can't show you that many times that he's been hit. You, you've only got four legal punches in boxing you got a jab, you got a cross, you've got an uppercut with either hand, and you've got a hook with either hand. You got a jab, a cross, an uppercut, and a hook. That's it. There's no other punches that you can do in boxing. Now, you could take those to the head, you could take those to the body, you could take those to the chest, you could take that to the liver, you could take that to the kidney, but all you've got is a jab across an uppercut and a hook. And fight after fight after fight, great fighters, all combined. I'd have a hard time showing you John Jones with a black eye. I could do it. I'd have a hard time showing you John Jones with a bloody nose. I could do it, but I'd have a hard time. I'd have a hard time showing you John Jones with a fat lip. I could do it, but it's not going to be easy. I'm not just going to go grab a few fights at random and be able to make that. I'm going to have to go through all of them. And I'm going to start to put that out. Then I'm going to show you that John is ambidextrous. I'm going to show you him fighting Southpaw against Gustafson while in the same fight switching and going orthodox against Gustafson. I don't think you're going to pull back a little bit. And then I'm going to have to hear about you, about the reach. And I'm going to have to hear all these different things. And we're going to have a back and forth. But you say, don't you understand? That's how you have the fight. And everybody that loves to turn to Connor versus Floyd, forget and forget and they forget again. You had Connor and Floyd at the table before you ever had a promoter. You had Connor and Floyd going out and talking to the media before you ever got a promoter to say, okay, let's do it. Not just Dana. Espinoza wasn't at the table either. Nobody tried to make that fight until those two had gone out to the public. And when they announced the fight, do you guys remember this? When they announced the fight, they then announced four dates for media tours. One of them was in Los Angeles on a Tuesday at two in the afternoon. This was in the beautiful dead of summer. You're not gonna be able to get people in Los Angeles to do anything on a Tuesday at two in the afternoon. But they did, they packed the house. It was completely sold out, if you will. I think they gave the tickets away, but it was at capacity, couldn't do it. They even left the country. They even went to Vancouver, did an outdoor event, sold that thing out, packed it, it's huge. And when it came to fight time, this was a real treat. This was a circus. I understand this was fun though I understand. The numbers and the level of success that was Connor versus Floyd are amongst the most embellished things in sports history. There's a reason they didn't do a rematch. So when you talk about Jones versus Fury could be equal to Connor versus Floyd. Do you mean that in your stomach, in your heart as a fan, that's how you feel? You have just as much anticipation? Or are you able to lay this thing out and map it up? Do you believe on the same day that we announce it's going to be Jones versus Fury, we can then announce a four-stop media tour spanning over two different countries in weekdays in the beautiful part of summertime and that you're going to fill them up? And if you do, who's going to host it? And if you do find somebody to fill them up and host it, which one of those two is going to carry it? I'm asking you. I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. Do you believe that Fury can get up and sing and serenade his wife enough times that people keep coming back for two-hour events? Do you believe that John Jones is going to be able to carry his weight? Do you believe that Floyd Mayweather carried his weight? Do you believe, looking back, that you could do a four-venue tour over two different countries on weekdays to sold-out capacity arenas if Conor wasn't on that stage? Do you, looking back as fondly as you remember it, and as great of business as you're convinced that it is because somebody told you that, can you tell me one thing that Floyd did leading up to the match that made you excited for it? That Floyd specifically Did. Something that Floyd specifically said. So once we realize that Floyd versus Connor doesn't work, if Connor doesn't show up, then who is it that we are counting on in Tyson versus Jones? I'm just asking. How do we convince the audience to take a leap of faith and go down crazy land like I am? I'm taking Jones. I'm taking Jones. But how do you convince enough other people to get on the stupid train with jail? And once we do leave the station, and don't forget, we don't care if they're punching, Right, this has become very obvious. No one cares if takedowns are allowed. No one cares if the rounds are two minutes or three minutes. Nobody cares about the rules of fighting at all. But we will give you two hours of our time and we'll give you $50 of our money if you can entertain us. So which between Jones and Fury do you believe for an entire hype tour that's going to span over two months, which one of those two do you believe is entertaining? All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening and remember if you want to support the show you can submit a five-star rating on spotify or leave me a review on apple Podcasts. enjoy the fights in jacksonville this weekend and come back on tuesday for me to break it all down until then i'm chael Sutton. and you are welcome